Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk. This is Aurelien. Uh, I organize now events in London, Ontario, real estate events where we have a speaker. We sharpen our skills and then uh, network around real estate. Who knows if you come, maybe you'll make the connection that will help you propel your real estate investment career to the next level. Uh, that's the that's the goal. And um, uh, I'm here with Glenn, glennsutherland.com. Glenn just had a, a conference about uh, multifamily investing in Toronto, was very successful. And Glenn um, has a mastermind and a course about how to invest in the US. And you can uh, look him up, glennsutherland.com. And we have Darcy, darcywhite.ca. Darcy um, operates larger multifamily um, uh, buildings in Western Canada and also dives into the topics more in in uh, more in, in more details on his website. So if you want to uh, be exposed to more of Darcy's thought, go uh, check out uh, darcywhite.ca. And today we will be discussing what is a good deal. So the context of the question, it was a conversation with Grace. Um, one of our uh, lovely listeners, and she was saying, um, and I completely, I can really relate with that, how overwhelming uh, it can be, because um, there are so many factors uh, to take into consideration. And if it's your first deal, you really want to make sure um, you do it right, because you don't want a first deal that would be a, a failure, although you can learn from it, but it's good to have something that's a, a success for the first one. And uh, and there is lots of talk around things like you know you make money when you buy so um, so what goes into a, a good deal is the topic for for today. Who wants to? Oh, uh, jump on this. But I think I think a lot of us um, <clears throat> people love this whenever they take my course. What they really want is you to tell them exactly what you buy. Right? They want the numbers, the underwriting. Even when I was I'm doing like the we did the deal presentation. Um, for the multifamily, like, you, have, you know, if you don't have the deal, you're telling exactly your underwriting criteria, right? That's what people are looking for. But the thing is, um, it's all based on goals. What do they want to achieve? It, it doesn't matter what I want to achieve. It doesn't matter what I'm trying to do. And sometimes this is where people get hung up is they're so, they get the numbers of what I buy and they're so hung up on finding those numbers and they can't do it that they just give up. Right. So it, it, first, I think the first thing is to step back and go, what are your goals? Right. Because everybody's going to be different. What you're uh, underwriting, even in different markets. Um, Darcy, I'm sure like when you're underwriting in Windsor, you're underwriting in um, Alberta. I'm sure they're not the exact numbers. I'm sure there's some some differences. Oh, like yep. when I'm underwriting in Ohio versus underwriting in Florida, it's completely different. Completely yeah. different because I can't do Ohio cash flow numbers in Florida, but I can't do the amount of money on a flip that I in Ohio that I do in Florida. Right? Each market has its perks, so it's it's about figuring out where you are, coming up with something realistic for where you are. Because otherwise, what are you? You're trying to put a round peg in a square hole, and it might even not even be there. Right? You might be pushing for something that doesn't even exist. But I think a lot of it is coming up with your goals. Like, oh, what, what do you picture? Like I was just literally this morning re-listening to our podcast about the retirement that we recorded, uh, I don't know, six, eight, I don't know, episodes ago. Right. But mm -hmm. what is your goal? Is it, how, do you picture yourself working in this active? Do you picture yourself working this passively? And the numbers are going to be different, right? You know, um, 
If your goal is to have something passive or your goal is to have some sort of vacation rental, you may not have the same criteria as if you were going to do this as active, right? Like you might have a second agenda. It might be like, I really love, well, Savannah, Georgia. I want a vacation, yeah. right? And so that's where I really love to be. And you might not get the same numbers as another market, but maybe that still works for you because you have the personal element to it, right? Yeah. Maybe you want... um it all depends. Like, how much do you want to work? What is your, what kind of cash flow do you need? Do you need your money now? Or is this for retirement? Is this going to be something that's okay to roll your money in and you actually have extracting it every single month, right? Because that's going to determine what is a good deal to you. How many people are involved in this? Do you have, uh, what I love to tell my students is, well, it, I usually tell this to the people who are underwriting really terrible deals, but I'll tell them, is there enough room in here for somebody else? Like if someone else came with the money, could you, what kind of return would they earn if you took, you know, if you're saying you're splitting this as a joint venture, is there enough money that people would be actually be enticed to even work on this project, right? So, you know, if you want to scale, you're going to have to think about that. You're going to have to think about how, making deals that are good enough that they're earning a better rate than what their line of credit is at the very least, right? Yeah. Otherwise, they're, why do they want to want to put their money into your project to earn less money? <laughs> uh, it doesn't it doesn't make sense unless there's, you know, we're, if it depends if we're talking about single family or, or multifamily. Sometimes you might like say get, um, uh, you know, cash on cash of 8%, but your IRR might work out to, you know, 16, 18, 20. And, you know, maybe your line of credit is higher than your pref rate. Maybe I'm getting too technical. I think what, what it comes down to is what is your goals? What do you see your yeah. future? When do you need the money? And then you have to work backwards. I can go in and tell you exactly what I underwrite for both. Um, but that doesn't mean that's what works for you. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I, I pick up something every time you talk because um, you thought of like if a retirement project, initially the first couple of deals that we did were um, condos that barely covered themselves. But the idea was in 17 and a half years with twice monthly payments, they paid themselves off and it'd be a retirement deal. Mm -hmm. 17 and a half years later, fully paid off. I sell the condo for what I purchased it for. And it's like I had used my renter's money to buy RRSPs. That was my initial plan. Didn't have to make cash flow. There's no grand plans of building a business. I just thought, this is a smart deal. I get the tenants to pay these things. They cash flow by about $30 a month, which is not worth the, wasn't paying me. You know, that's yeah, an so hour's time. Now all out. Yeah. yeah, it's totally gone. But I thought overall, it's an equity play where the tenants pay down the capital. And in 17 and a half years, you know, things go well. They're totally paid off these three condos in Langley City. And, and I'm I sure they're worth it. more than you bought them for. <laughs> oh, ton. I know. I know. My plan changed. My plan changed. And in, what, 20 months, I sold them for 25 times over what I paid, put down payment. You know, yeah. It was an yeah. unbelievable deal. My plans changed. But that's what got me rolling was, I forgot, totally forgot. That was the idea behind it. That's good, Glenn. No, but I think it, mine starts with an alignment of goals. Always start, what do I want? What am I trying to prove? What am I trying to do? before I get into an investment. What makes a good deal? You can chase money, but that's inscrutable. Um, and nobody, you don't know what you're doing then, really. It's just every deal is different. Every deal is confusing. Every deal is bespoke. You can't repeat it. Because if you're chasing just a money thing, then it's not reproducible. Um, and it's maybe inscrutable to your 
potential investors, to your bankers, to your financiers, the people that work with you. If, if you're down to just, I just want to make a lot of money, I, I don't know if that's a good enough plan. Um, no, it, it wasn't for me. So. It, it honestly isn't. If your goal is just money, like we we don't we haven't talked about your why in a long time. But if your goal is money, it's usually not a good enough goal. Um, it's no. easy to you know make changes to make compromises to it. Uh, money is not a good enough goal, right? It isn't. It isn't because you have to have it, a money's an avatar. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to leave my job. This is what I need for my job. This is what I need to replace it. If that's what your thing is, you you hate what you do. Some people love what they do, and they're looking for this just to be a a, a tool for retirement. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good enough. What you really hate is what you're doing. Money is just a symbol or an avatar or a trade or a, you know, a trade piece. It's not the goal itself. You got to find the goal behind the goal. If that's where you're still at. All right. What do you think about it? Is it a purpose at the top of your list for an investment or? Yeah. So the way I looked at it, I tried to, uh, so I see it as a, as an overwhelming task, uh, Okay, so we figure out the why, and uh, and then we want to go about it. And how do you distinguish a good deal from a bad deal? So uh, I was looking at it from the perspective of an over overwhelming task. So I, I thought about, okay, how can I break it down? So what are some of the thoughts that should go into it for for it to be a to be less uh, overwhelming? Um, so some tips I've I've uh, I've had over the years where uh, you make money when you buy. So uh, we can dive more into it. Uh, the other idea is to buy the worst property on the on the nicest street. Uh, you can look at areas that are gentrifying. Um, another element that's very important is um, if you do repositioning of assets and you want to improve uh, a property or buying a property that has uh, low rents, then you want to make sure that you can actually increase those rents because not every province, not every state in the U.S., uh, treats it the same way. So looking at uh, the laws around uh, uh, tenant uh, landlord rules is important. And basically look at the fundamentals. Um, it's very important when you start investing to look for uh, markets where there is job growth and population growth, because as we've said multiple times on this, on, this, on this podcast, these will trigger uh, a shortage of inventory that will be uh, beneficial in terms of uh, rents and uh, 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 people will be needing uh, what you what you are offering. People will want what you have to uh, rent, for example. Um, and then, you know, when you get into the numbers and, and the cap rate, for example, cap rates and good deals, um, the the typical deal that is a value-add deal doesn't necessarily uh, have a good cap rate because, for example, no, no, no. You, want, you want to buy problems and typical typical problems are going to be vacancy. Uh, and, and what's the why is there vacancy? If it's because people are, are fleeing and, and leaving the area, then that's not a problem that you're, you, you might be able to solve. But if it's because of bad management, uh, properties that are neglected, not, not really taken care of. That's, that's a problem you can fix. And basically, um, there are problems people, investors will run away from 
And if you become skilled at solving those problems, then you can turn those problems into, into opportunities. Um, I was thinking also uh, for some commercial property, you can look at uh, you know uh, under under market rents, uh, for example in retail, and then but make sure that those uh, rents, those leases are soon uh, renewing because that way you can. Uh, bump, bump the rent back, bump, bump the rents back to market. Once you've done a, a good job in, during due diligence at finding out, okay, what's market rate? Is there a demand for uh, this type of um, of rental? And then, and then you can create value that way. So um, that's that's one way to look at it. Uh, yeah. And then vacancies. Make sure you can actually fill up those vacancies and 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 really understand what is the problem. Is it a problem you can solve? And lastly, um, in terms of um, purchase price, so people get hung up on purchase price. Sometimes, um, and that's something we've talked about already, uh, you know, you want to look at the terms because um, uh, some some people I respect in the field of real estate investing talk about uh, rentals being a tool against which you register a mortgage and the mortgage is the leverage to to create wealth so if you can register a mortgage and and create debt that is very advantageous so you 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 give in in terms of pricing you pay what the the person is asking for example in terms of negotiation sometimes people will be unreasonable and will want prices from before where where the debt and made sense the price made sense because the debt was so cheap so what you can tell them is okay i'm I'm willing to offer you the price or close to the price you're asking provided you you carry the mortgage and that mortgage uh, you you give me the terms that the mortgage i would have you know a mortgage that would make sense uh with the purchase price and that that's one lever you can pull to get to get a property that makes sense uh, you may not be buying it cheap, but the debt you're having, if it's you know full amortization, can be a can be a, a win a win win for both the seller. They get their price, and you you get a great uh, leverage vehicle through a, through a attractive debt terms. Yeah, Ari, you were talking at the conference, part of your speech, and you mentioned uh, this just popped in my head, which I'm like maybe the audio listeners are being interested in hearing about your thoughts on you were talking about the cap rate versus the interest rate um because it was one of those um i just liked how it was presented a lot of times uh kind of put you on the spot but a lot of times people don't think about that maybe 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 before i'm just gonna let you talk so i don't butcher your your (laughs) yeah i don't know if you remember that right from the yeah yeah yeah. and i somebody came up to me after saying i I really uh enjoyed the way you presented it and basically uh cap rate and interest rates so they're connected and and right now the problem we're having is that um the cap rates should be uh getting higher because the debt is higher and basically you make money in the delta between the debt the interest rate and the cap rate so a capitalization rate for example you buy a property that has a cap rate of 10 percent uh you, you your income is a hundred thousand dollars for a property that's um your net net operating income is a hundred thousand dollars for a million dollar property and then 10 percent means you can have a mortgage up to 10 percent at 10 percent you're not going to make any money but if the mortgage is nine percent eight percent seven percent then you make money in the delta. That's that's going to be the the cash on cash. Yeah, I just like the way that was presented because I um, 
a lot of people don't present you know a lot of people don't talk about that at all honestly <laughs> um no no i don't know anyway um yeah one thing i was thinking about too is like when you're talking like you're talking we're talking about what what is a deal right and um a lot of people once they have what they believe is a deal they just go to start selling this deal and uh this might be the golden nugget, at least the way I look at it. It's the wake up moment for myself uh, years ago was um, to not sell the deal. And instead of making it about yourself and getting what you want, um, to have the conversation more about them and what their goals are, what they're looking for in their investment. Because a lot of times you will find a much better alignment and you have um, a better understanding when you start. Some, If you know the person is you know, they need a certain rate, they need certain things, they need, you know, it, it puts pressure on the deal and you understand where they're coming from, right? If you don't, you just say, hey, you want this deal, this is what I have, this, you know, it, it's good to know this. You, if you can figure out, understand who the investor is in your project, um, then you can do your best to, to make this work for them. Or in all honesty, if it doesn't work for them, you can yeah. turn them away because Let it's going to be hard. Yeah. That's going to be hard. But the thing is, you are saving um a lot of phone calls you're saving yourself a lot of stress you're shaving you're gonna not shave years off your life you will um not dealing with the the people who are investing their last penny people who are in a pinch they're they're banking on this this is their retirement they're giving you the whole thing um but anyway ask an investor about the great i think it's great uh in in any transaction, you want to understand both both parties. You know, when you're when you're talking to the seller, you want to understand their situation so that you can find solutions that that create a win-win situation. And same thing with your the investors you work with. Absolutely. All right, I like how you've uh, focused on solving problems because that's kind of my approach. Um, we we buy stuff. So if the alignment is correct, we've talked about your purpose and your alignment, what you do. So for me, I'm, I'm multi-res. We have office buildings and we have small uh, uh, community shopping centers. But our growing edge of what we do and what I'm known for is the apartment guy. You yep. know, so, um, so I keep it simple because I, I need it simple in my brain. Uh, I like other asset classes. I can see the upside and the benefits of them. But I think it would confuse a lot of people if I were chasing whatever it is. So once I've sort of settled on what my alignment is and what I do, then I'm looking in my niche. How do I optimize? I love to, I love that. Um, I, it occurred to me this morning when I was thinking of this, um, our topic, I love that uh, Liam Neeson quote that gets quoted in Ransom. Uh, what I have is a very particular set of skills that I've acquired over a very long period of time. Skills that will make me a nightmare for, for no, nobody really, but I have special skills. And what I'm looking for is how to apply those skills to solve problems. When Ari talks about problems, I, I'm, I'm dead serious when I say I'm looking for death, debt, divorce, dementia, decrepitude. Those are how properties fall. Really good properties don't transact. Only the ones with problems go, right? The problem in some portfolios is somebody wants to retire. They're getting old. Um, they're running out of steam to run these properties and they're selling. That's generally how they fall to us. So out of these problems, you find your opportunities. And I talk about what kind of leverage, and I'm talking about different kinds of leverage, what kind of emotional, spiritual, um, and physical strength I can put to those and what skills we've applied to them. I'm looking for leverage. I'm looking for an opportunity to add value uh, to an improve an existing property. I don't build, so I'm looking for how I can leverage my skills into this property and find value. 
are there suites that could be reassigned or are there spaces that could be um, designed, um, permitted and create additional value. You add, you know, buy 21 units and add another unit is a way to add 5% more equity to your suite, your thing, slightly under 5%. It's a win-win in so many ways. Oh, yeah. um, like we're talking about um, adding value. Sorry, I cut you off here, but yeah. say you do that, you add a, a suite and you charge $1,500 a month or whatever it is, multiply it by 12 and apply that to a cap rate. And sometimes you've created $50,000. Easy, easy. Yeah, yeah but existing cap rates five and a half percent, five and a half caps. You're adding a, at a sweet betting one hundred thirty thousand dollars in some markets to your property. And what if you just bought it for two million? You just added five percent or more to your equity value plus to your cash flow. Yeah. Um, so if you're adding that kind of value, does it make sense to spend the forty grand or fifty grand to add the unit? Probably. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it in the next episode yeah. okay, of okay, renovations. Yeah. So that's a little teaser there, um, Grace. If you want to hang on for talk about. Uh, um, renovations. But I look for a couple other things too. So I'm looking for leverage that I can apply our skills and what our organization does really well. And I think we do this. We buy properties that have a problem. Usually it's debt. It's need to be recapitalized. They have lots of vacancies and poor management. So I apply that that leverage, our management expertise and our experience to it, and we improve them you know, dramatically. Um, I'm also looking for another couple of things. I'm also looking for uh, adding organizational strength and diversity and um, uh, some security. So we pool our properties. So I don't just have one property. I have three or four or five in that pool. And by adding more suites to that pool, I've added um, breadth and diversity to the pool and a little bit of security. It's not based on just one property succeeding. It's based on five properties, which is a little bit better, we think. Um, I would, you know, we talked a little bit about they have to make money because if it doesn't make money, you're out of business. And as my wife says, you don't do anybody any favors by going out of business. Uh, people without means, without resources, can't help anyone else. You can't give a helping hand if you've lost your arm. Well, that's a bit of macabre, but uh, <laughs> but you can't. Um, and the final one I kind of look at is: is this in the public good? Is this a is this a good thing for the community? I mean, and often. We are buying, as I already said, the worst worst property on a street. We're buying low and fixing them up. So I like to um, say that we clean up communities or our side of the sidewalk when we purchase a property. <clears throat> Pardon me. We make it better. So, you know, we just closed last Thursday on 41 units in Edmonton. And this afternoon, I'll be at that property looking how we can apply our leverage to improve the property quality of housing for the people in that community, for the existing tenants, and how to attract new tenants into better, safer, cleaner, and aesthetically attractive housing. So that's what we do. Uh, and that's that's what looks like a deal for me. Yep. Well, you, you just, I guess, whenever I'm looking at a deal, because I, was, I wasn't going to go into it, but every deal I buy now has a value add. There, I don't buy anything that's ready, because... Um, what, where am I going to make my money? I, I'm just going to hope that the market keeps pushing it up and it's going to appreciate. That's a, that's a scary game to play. Like I do a, a renovation or a value add of some kind on everything. Sometimes you can buy it cheap. You know what? Actually, there was three properties I bought this summer that we they wanted a price and we ended up coming to connecting on a price that was half of what they wanted because then it made sense. I didn't need to do the renovation. But yeah. typically, you know, you're either need to buy it right 
or you need the right price or they need to be doing, sorry, you need to be doing value adds, right? Yeah, adding things um, yeah. and, and put like adding rooms, converting addicts, you know, fixing things that are broken, um, adding value and making people attracted to, to, to live there. A lot of this is going to lead into our next episode. So maybe before I jump too far and, uh, you know, have nothing to talk about next episode. <laughs> yeah. And I, maybe I can add, um, in terms of value add for mobile home park, which is one of my um, uh, areas of uh, expertise, uh, you can you know look at um, market. You can look at the the rents and you know where do they stand compared to market rents. Uh, is there is there a way to increase them? And um, you know in I like to increase them over time, not not do uh, drastic increases. You know in consideration for the for the tenants, and um, and then. But be careful because sometimes the broker is going to say, oh, value add. And they're in their underwriting. They're going to do the, the pro forma of, let's say there is vacancy. So there are lots that are vacant. And they're going to say, okay, so this is how much money you would be making uh, if those lots would be uh, filled. But the problem is there is a cost to that. So be very mindful of uh, the cost of bringing a home, uh, buying a home. And then if you sell it on contract or sell it for cash, there is a cost to all of this, and and typically it's not included. So uh, do do your math and don't forget those added costs uh, when you do That's your end. Yep. Yeah, I think my last thought I, I might throw out there. Theirs are obvious, really great deals, but they're hairier than you may think. They might take quite a bit to wrestle to the ground and get done and get through. Um, many deals can be good and made great with good work. You can make your deal better with some work and some effort and thoughtful application of your skills. Um, I think a lot of people are stuck on perfection. I, I struggle with perfection and it's not a good thing. It's a limiting belief in perfectionism. Good enough is by definition good enough. And that's a struggle for me. So you can find a deal. Now I wouldn't say take a crappy deal, but you can find a deal and virtually every deal, you can find ways to make it better after the point after you've purchased. Um, and that's keep that thought in reserve that even after you've done all your work and you've got a great deal in front of you and you're comfortable with it, know that you can make it better. There are so many ways to make any deal better that even if you're in a kind of bad or not great deal, you can make that one reasonably good just with hard work and time. Um, you know, the amazing thing about most real estate, it's going to fix its problems over time. You can survive three years. You can make any deal better. It's yep. just, you know, what's your, what's your tolerance for three years, 36 months. You know, I think again, if you want another movie reference, Shawshank Redemption, would you swim through a mile of sewer for freedom? Yeah, absolutely. And could you hang on for 36 months? Yeah, absolutely. You could, cause you have to. So uh, yeah, Ari's just coursing because he's thinking about swimming through a mile of sewer. Um, it could be that kind of experience for you. It's going to be crappy, so to speak. Um, but you can make any deal better. Um, you just have to be patient and persistent. I don't know. Throw that out there because, you know, I've gotten some deals that just weren't, didn't turn out great initially. And then they were, and they were awesome. Because yeah. I'm just like a dog with a bone. My final thought, if it if yeah. the numbers aren't penciling and you're starting to change numbers to force this to go through, you might be creating a new problem for yourself that you really don't want. Um, yeah, people, I, it's a very common thing with the underwriting because it's so easy to manipulate the numbers. Um, yeah. Do your best to just, if it doesn't work, 
you either lower the price or you walk away because otherwise, mm -hmm. if you're just, maybe I can get, do this work cheaper. Maybe I can get my financing cheaper and on my refi in the future rates will come down. If you start toying with those kind of numbers, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble and you're going to ruin your own name and reputation. Yeah. yeah and uh, uh, it's, that's where also, you know, setting goals can be a uh, tricky because uh, uh, don't, don't set a goal of, okay, I need to close on a deal this month. Absolutely. Otherwise I don't, I won't, uh, you know, I, I will feel bad because I didn't achieve my goal. Be careful of those goals. Don't, don't, um, don't buy a bad deal just because you want to close on a deal. So that's, that's another uh, tension you can have, you know, between goal setting and, uh, and uh, actually buying good deals. So it's just, uh, 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 so hopefully you gained out of this conversation, some insights on how, how to find good deals, what a good deal is. Uh, we could actually make an episode on how to find good deals. Um, that was uh, what is a good deal. Uh, thank you for listening to the uh, to the episodes, um, Grace. So we appreciate yeah. your listenership, and as a token of it, so we are glad to uh, dive into questions you may have. And uh, so, any other listener, feel free to uh, approach us with your questions. Will be a, it will be our pleasure to to dive into them and. Uh, so thank you for tuning in today and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Bye, Grace. Bye, Grace. <laughs>